My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 11 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. It was great to see the National Athletics Championships take place in Santry over the last few weekends for both the senior and masters athletes. 147 years of unbroken championships is something for athletics in Ireland to be very proud of. And in the trail and mountain running world, there has only been one show in town since our last episode, and that's the Kerry Way Ultra. Would it get the go ahead? Would they be able to get all the health and safety measures in place in time? And thankfully Eileen and her team managed to do that and to great effect. We'll shortly have Simon Kelly on the line who saw the action live up close and personal from his home base down in Waterfall, County Kerry. Simon is going to bring us through all the results from Kerry and then we'll also have a detailed chat with running coach Ireland, head coach Rene Borg, who after having to replan his big summer goal chose to head for the Kerry Way Ultra as well and Rene will go into all the details of his race preparation and his thoughts from inside the race itself. It's a Kerry Way Ultra special. Get your running gear on, everybody. Let's go. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 11. Really looking forward to hearing all about the Kerry Way Ultra with Simon and Rene. The photographs I saw from the race looked absolutely spectacular. And as we'll hear from Simon, there was some fantastic racing going on up the very top end of the fields as well. For our next show, episode 12, we've already lined up the winner of this year's Kerry Way Ultra, Gavin Byrne, to tell us about his incredible performance down in Kerry last weekend. Nearly 200 kilometers of racing i'll say it again 200 kilometers of racing what an epic physical effort what an incredible race from gavin and all of those who took part before we dial in simon a final shout out for this season to eco trail wicklow who have been our show sponsor up until now up until episode 11 they were with us from the start when we launched back in episode one so a big thank you to eco trail for their support of the show up until now and we look forward indeed to September next year fingers crossed when we all get to line up in Bray for some great racing over the trails of Wicklow with that in mind guys we're on the lookout for a new show sponsor to help keep us ticking over during the autumn and winter months we've some great feedback on the show to date we've established a really good loyal base of listeners for every episode a big thank you to everybody who tunes in every week so if you'd like to see your company name your event details or whatever product it might be getting some good quality exposure across our Trail Running Ireland podcast and indeed our Trail Running Ireland social media platform as well. We've about 5,000 um, followers on our Facebook page, for example. Don't hesitate to get in touch. In the meantime, though, guys, let's hear all about the Kerry Way Ultra and dial in our man on the ground, Simon Kelly. Simon Kelly, our man on the ground. Simon, we're lucky to have you on the show this week because there was only really one event that was happening over the last two weeks since our last podcast, and that was down in Kerry, in the Kerry Way Ultra. And Simon, you had a front row seat. I certainly did. Um, I would have loved to have been running, but it uh, didn't happen for me this year. So 
I was out on the ground, out and about, and I have to commend all of the participants, all of the organisers, Eileen Daly at the helm. I mean, it was delivered. And from being down on the ground with a long distance race and all of the races are over, like the minimum race is 58K, it allowed for that social distancing. They could do it responsibly. They set them off in waves. It made it a bit of a challenge on the tracking front. I was counting on fingers and toes to work out who went off in which wave and how far behind are they or how far up they are. But there was a good initiative, particularly in the in the ultra, um, which is the 200k race, that they put out a request for any people who believed they'd be competitive to win and they put them all off in the same wave at 10 past seven. So they would know who their challengers were. Um, it was a logistical mountain for Eileen to climb, but she got it there. She got the race on and it went off from anyone I've spoken to. They had a fantastic time. And I know that uh, your own Rene was there and he's going to talk a bit about it later as well. Yeah, that did Simon. Rene's going to take a bit of a deep dive from from the runner's point of view within the race, and um, also from the point of view of somebody who hasn't done a long ultra race in a long time, the effects of lockdown on his own training as well. So Rene's going to be coming up right after this slot to bring us through the race from inside the race, and it's great because I think in this week's um, podcast we've a bit more time, Simon, to focus on the Kerryway Ultra to see what the results were. To really have an in-depth look at it um, and then to look at inside the race from Rene's point of view as well and again just to, to touch on the race organiser Simon it, it was great that they got to go ahead and do it because when those new government guidelines came out at the end of August I mean people just didn't know where they stand um, some races just said no it's impossible to go on here. Like Eco Trail, of course, in Wicklow, that was just called off. Their, their virtual challenge that they were hoping to do as well, they had to postpone that too because just because of the uncertainty around it. Imre, of course, they have a hold on their racing calendar, the likes of the Galti half, the Morris Mullins half, the Stone Cross, the Lug race, their All-Ireland Junior Championship. All those races are being postponed. So for Eileen and her team, to, to push on, to have the the, the, the bravery to, to push on, given all the uncertainty, given all the question marks that she would have had. Um, question marks coming from, I think, participants as well, and even those within the trail running world, whether it was the right thing or not to go ahead with the race. I can imagine she would have had a couple of sleepless nights, Simon, herself and her whole team as well. Um, so maybe, Simon, before we get into the results of the actual race itself, what was the atmosphere like down there, down in Killarney last weekend? I'm sure in one way, the locals were, were they happy to see people coming down? Good for the local economy? Great for the race itself, of course, to, to go ahead. I think so. The general um, kind of atmosphere around the race was very positive. Now, obviously, there was no congregating um, and no numbers. And the organisers were really on top of that, making sure once their runner had started or come into a, re a, a fuel station and departed, they moved on. They weren't hanging around. So there wasn't going to be big crowds of 50, 60 people cheering at every juncture. However, what happened was it spread people out. It, they made the aid stations um, four kilometers long. So your support crew were allowed to refuel you and meet you 
two kilometers before the official um, checkpoint and two kilometers after the official checkpoint. Great, so it yeah. gave a four kilometer distance for the athletes to create their own space. So there was camper vans, there was people set up, they had their own fueling. It gave them that distance and it seemed to operate very well. And it introduced a level of strategy as well for some of the runners who are wondering, should we get in early, just coming down onto a road section and get in early, get in, get our refuel? Or could we wait another 4K, push a little bit? And that psychological thing of passing someone who might be refueling, it made it quite interesting. Sure, yeah, and I know, Simon, you had just down um, in your hometown there, your home village in Waterfall, the Kerryway night race started as well. Um, what time of the day did that start at? So the Kerryway Ultra Night, uh, due to start at midnight, now they went off a little bit early because there was a chill coming into the air. And to be honest, the runners were ready and they were relishing the opportunity to get started. So they decided to send off the first wave just a little bit early, get them out on the trail. And also it meant for that social distancing. But there was a great atmosphere, obviously starting with head torches. And I think the, the winners would have been finishing with head torches. Um, and it's a good challenge. But again, alongside the ultra, which would have been happening at the same time, there was still plenty of space for social distancing, but also that safety element of having other people on the trail, which is so important. And really, it's a peer-to-peer -peer thing that runners look after each other when they're out in that hillside and out in the mountains and making sure that they're all safe. Yeah, out of interest, Simon, was there anybody wearing masks at all around the start area, any of the runners? Because what I've seen on the continent across races in Europe is a lot of race organisers have been insisting on people wearing masks at the start area. Um, Zach Hanna was on a course a couple of weeks ago saying how he had to wear a mask um, at the start of his race in Italy. And then once he got to the finish line, we see it in the Tour de France at the moment as well. Um, any mask wearers at the weekend? It was mandatory at the start zone. So the guys had to wear masks at the start within a kilometre when they started to spread out, they were allowed to take them off. Now, a buff would be sufficient. It was a face covering requirement. At the end, with the distance of the races, there wasn't groups finishing. So it wasn't necessary for people to put on that mask, which I mean, as a runner, I know crossing the line, you're gasping for breath. You put in your last push to be putting a mask on then could be something that would be quite uncomfortable. So it, yeah. it was good that it naturally happened that people were finishing with a bit of distance. And also Eileen had secured where they usually finish in Randall's garage. She'd secured the whole back lot and car park there which was a massive area so there was plenty of space finish at the line you could walk over your crew could be there and you had your own space to be able to probably collapse on the ground <laughs> for a few minutes anyway uh, regather your energy so it worked very well Sure. And I presume, you know, there was probably very little gathering of people before the race and after the race as well. Um, I know it has a great reputation, the race, for that community and family feel to it over the last couple of years. And people gathering from all parts of Ireland and indeed from further afield as well for, you know, just post and pre-race banter. But I presume just this year, it just it wasn't possible to do so. No. Um 
organically, some of the runners, they had picnics in Mokras um, in small groups and kept their distance. It gave them plenty of space to be able to sit down, you know, bring a, a couple of snacks to them and, and relax. Because there would have been an ultra brunch in previous years, which would be in the Drum Hill Hotel, where everyone gets together. Oh, great atmosphere. I mean, it's it's the, the least used buffet you'll ever see because people can't stand up to walk to the buffet table. But it's a wonderful day and kind of morning just to, to for everyone to t- retell the stories from the trail and you know sharing that so unfortunately you know it fell uh, it wasn't going to be possible to bring people into that situation so as I say people did uh, friends did get to meet up but at that distance and you know being responsible and outdoors and it was suggested rather than organized by um, the Kerryway Ultra that they could meet and have a, a couple of, as I say, picnic kind of in, in Muckras. And uh, to all all reports, it seemed that quite a few people went and sat down, brought their blankets and had a good kind of couple of hours just relaxing and stretching out the legs. Yeah, I was, it sounds like it, it was great. And we're, we're going to touch on the results. Although I, I think the results maybe aren't the most important part of the weekend. I think from, from what we're talking about, the most important part of the whole weekend was the race got to go ahead. Hundreds of runners got to get out on those amazing trails down in Kerry, Simon. I've seen some of the photographs just going around on social media and it looks absolutely incredible down there and i know your own race and waterville um, touches on some of those fantastic trails and that as well and uh, um, around the king of kerry the Iver peninsula the old red sand sandstone mountains of course as well and um, full of irish history and some fabulous photographs if, if anybody wants to get a taste of of what the racing was like down there over the weekend but let's have a chat about the result about the results simon because you know, the, the main talking point, I suppose, was whether the race would get to go ahead safely or not. It looks like it did. Um, so now let's take a deep dive on the results. And boy, was there some incredible performance assignment, especially from the girls this weekend. No doubt. The races were, I think, to use an American term, stacked. Uh, everyone who could get down the best athletes in the country entered. There's so few races relishing the opportunity to get out and have a really, really high quality race. And it did not disappoint. As I said, the tracking made it a little bit of a a, a challenge to track everything and see what was happening. But in the ultra Uh, The ladies all went off in the same wave and it was a a ladies only wave. So it was easy for them to figure out where they were in the fields. But it was easy for them also to see Aoife Mondo's heels from the very start, because what a run. I mean, you got to look at 200 or 200 kilometers, about just over 5000 meters of elevation. And Aoife came home in 25 hours 26 minutes and 49 seconds which is absolutely phenomenal and is fifth overall fastest for the Kerryway Ultra this year there was huge gap in between Sarah Enright came back in second Julie McNamee was third and then Jennifer Coster was the fourth finisher and there was only four female finishers this year which really shows it's such a tough race it's not to be taken for granted but once again, Aoife Mondo, what a performance. Just incredible. 
and I think oh, I saw on her Facebook and page as well, Simon, not only did she smash the record, she approved on her own time from last year by a couple of hours as well. So she just seems to be an athlete that keeps on getting stronger and stronger every 12 months. Um, Eva, if you're listening, I'd love to get you on the show. So hopefully we'll, we'll be able to hear um, directly from yourself over the next couple of weeks, maybe. And we'd love to hear your story. And one thing that I maybe would love to see Aoife do Simon is is that when races get up and running again on the continent across Europe for Aoife to take that form and to test that strength and that talent that she has against some of the best girls in Europe, the Spaniards, the French, the Italians, on maybe a big high-profile race like UTMB. And I'd love to see what Aoife could do in that type of company. And from what we've seen so far, Simon, I think she'd be right up there, right up there at the moment. I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, she's been out before doing 24-hour races and She's been absolutely smashing them, breaking Irish records. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of time before that happens. Yeah. And a shout out to Judy there in third place as well, Simon. Judy is one of Rene's athletes, that Rene's coaches too. So I'm sure Rene was a proud coach over the weekend as well. Um, moving on to the guys in the, in the ultra race, Simon, um, what a performance from Gavin Byrne. I know. I said before that uh, I would back Gavin against the field. Now, that wasn't an easy shout to make. You had Ian Keith in there. You had Brian Buckley in there. You had Ricky Wynn in there. All of these guys are all capable on their day of going really, really fast. Gavin's in form. His Wicklow round record that he set was nothing short of outstanding. And he went off at the start. And to say there was fireworks, himself and Ricky Wynn, now, Ricky did an interview before the race and said that he learned from last year. He led the race until Waterville last year and unfortunately came unstuck and, and dropped out in Waterville. So he came back this year and he said he was going to be patient. He said this was going to be his year that he would control his pace. The race started. Ricky and Gavin fireworks. <laughs> they were straight off up torque. There was nothing holding them back. They were pushing. And the two of them went tit for tat and toe for toe. But Gavin pushed on. And he really, really carried his form through. Unfortunately, it took its toll on Ricky. And Ricky did drop at Sneem, which is about 130k into the race. Um, and it, I think he had some stomach issues. Uh, Ian Keith was also there. Now, I hear, and from reading Ian's blog, he was carrying an injury he wasn't 100%. And again, he, he didn't go the distance. Now, we know how classy an athlete Ian is. So it was obviously an, an injury he was carrying in. But he really wanted to do the race. But Gavin pushed on. And I read a small report. And he said he, he struggled from Khmer uh, up the hill there. There's a long, long climb up there as you get up to the old Khmer Road. But I looked at it. And the pace... Gavin struggles at is still pulling away from the rest of the field. So Gavin finished in 23 hours, 37 minutes and 17 seconds. Keith Lane, after being in fourth for much of it, there was a couple of athletes ahead of him that dropped out. And Keith then picked up towards the end and finished 24 hours, one minute and 18 seconds. I'd say he was kicking himself not to go under the 24 hours. And then 
uh, a previous winner. Brian Buckley rounded off the podium in 24 hours, 32 minutes. Really exciting race. Uh, another feature was Sean Clifford, who, who would have won the race before as well. He, unfortunately, didn't make the distance. He dropped in Waterville as well. Um, so it was a really, really tough event. And I think there was a little bit of heat during the first day. It got warmer. While conditions were good and it was clear, I think it got a little bit warm. And there was lots of reports of people st struggling with food and nutrition. And that became a big feature. And the final person I'd like to call out in the Ultramans, Adolfo Garcia. 39 hours, 31 minutes and 17 seconds. Adolfo, this is his second finish. It, he ran three years prior to that without finishing. And this guy is just made of steel. He doesn't give up. And the cutoff is 40 hours. So he just crept in to get his second Kerryway Ultra finish. And anyone who's run the Kerryway Ultra or any of the long distance races, you'll know Adolfo for the simple reason the guy never stops smiling. If you spend even two minutes running with him, you'll be inspired. Uh, what a great guy. And it's just so happy to see him finish. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm just looking at the results here, Simon. I see his name there, 39 hours, 31 minutes. And, you know, he's in good company there as well with Jason Collins, Francis O'Reardon, all just finishing with an hour to go before the cutoff point. And, uh, you know, they, they deserve just as much credit that the guy is up the top in the 23, 24-hour bracket, if not more, because they're out on their feet on their feet for nearly two days solid and um, running in tough conditions as you said and the good news is Simon that we have Gavin lined up for episode 12 Gavin will be our feature interview for our next podcast where we'll be able to get an in-depth um, look into his win there over the weekend and it's a funny one because I've been talking to Gavin just over the summertime and I know from talking to him during lockdown and so on, um, he said he wasn't sure just what he was doing training-wise. Um, this year, he, he didn't fancy going for the trial for the World Championships, which we'll touch on shortly. Um, so it's great to see that, that he found himself a target and an objective. And it just goes to show, Simon, the, the natural talent that Gavin has, because we have to remember, Gavin's only ultra-running a couple of years. So he was obviously born with some type of gene that enables him to they keep on going and going and going and uh, grind those wins out. Um, incredible running, incredible running. Um, what about the, the night race, uh, Simon? Was that an actual competitive race? Were people battling it, battling it out for the win or was it more just an experience? It was definitely a competitive race this year. Last year it was smaller and it was seen as a little bit of a stepping stone in between. There had been the ultra light and it was to add an element of experience for night running for people that were maybe looking to step up to the full race, um, the Kerryway Ultra, the 200, um, and give them a little bit of experience at night and of a longer race. But this year there was some very classy athletes in there. Um, the ladies race, first of all, you have Claire McCann, who, who took the win in 13 hours and 31 minutes, and that's for a 93K race. Again, it's, it's tough ground. Miriam O'Connor came home in second, and then Emma Hand came home in third, which was 16 hours and 38 minutes. So you can see there's a big, big change, uh, three-hour difference between first and third there. It is a tough race. It's definitely a smaller race, but it's a really nice one, particularly for people who mightn't have experience of night running um, on, on technical ground because there is a bit of challenge in it.
Yeah, absolutely. And so important that you have the correct equipment with you, Simon, as well, and the correct um, lighting as well. For example, what um, headlamp, Simon, do you wear yourself when you're training at night time? I know you do a lot of training yourself when it's dark on those trails. What, what is it that you wear yourself? Yeah, I, I use just a lead lenser. It's got a nice little red light in the back as well because I would run a lot at night and uh, it's highly adjustable. So I, I've always found that as my go-to. But as you were saying, to have the right equipment, the most important thing is not really the headlamp you have in your head. It's that you got a backup um, because it happens. <laughs> I've stepped into a race before uh, with my trusted you know, head torch come in and literally I had a battery failure. Luckily, I had a backup head torch, got it on. Wasn't the same power, a little bit lighter, you know, just for kind of emergency. But it worked. And that's the important thing to have the fail safes, you know, plan. If, if you have a lot of stuff in your backpack that you never use, it means it's been a good day and things have gone your way because you you need your foil blanket. You need your head torch. You need to make sure you have more nutrition than you'll, than you'll eat. You'll need to make sure you've got your water because this is, you know, it's a solo journey. And there are a couple of checkpoints, but some checkpoints, there's 30K from checkpoint to checkpoint. You're not going to see anyone. So you really need to be prepared. Plenty of layers as well, because if something does happen that slows you down or stops you in your tracks and you have to wait for help to get in, you need to get those layers on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm moving on to the last race distance here as well, the ultra light. And there's a performance here that really stands out in the women's race, Laura O'Driscoll. I have to admit that it was a name that I hadn't come across before, but actually just in the lead up to the race, a couple of people mentioned Laura's name to me and they said, Owen, watch out for this girl. She is going to blow the field away this weekend. And that's what she did. Her, her result here, Simon, you can tell us about it. It was good enough to get her onto the male podium. It was that good. Absolutely. Well, I will jump back because I skipped the men. In the oh, last race, <laughs> so go, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to do that. We'd be in trouble. Uh, it's 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 often the the males kind of lead out of the gate with the results, but um, Primal Tracking, who do all the tracking and support for uh, Eileen and for the, all all the long distance races with GPS, they um they're they're chivalrous. They put the females first always. So uh, yeah, in the in the ultra night, the uh, male Robert. Jankowski was the winner. Now, this was a fantastic performance. Nine hours and 10 minutes. And that's for 93K across tough technical land at night. And to put it in perspective, Joe O'Leary in second was 10 hours and one minute. Joe has won the Kerryway Ultra in the past. He is no slouch. He was in here racing, no doubt. And I mean, to be 50 minutes clear of an athlete as classy as Joe, that's a huge performance. We had Daniel Page, who finished in third in 10 hours and 53 minutes. So, you know, a little less, 50 minutes, 50 minutes. So those guys are running solo through the night. There was a good bit of air between them. And uh, I have to say, hats off to Robert, making sure he was doing social distancing well by leading the race by 50 minutes. Absolutely. Sounds like he's a bit of a specialist over the night um, courses. Now, I was so excited about that <laughs> performance by Laura that I skipped the guys completely. But let's get back onto this girl now. Laura O'Driscoll, Simon, as I was saying, a performance that would have been good enough to get her onto the male podium. 
So, yeah, Laura, I mean, again, t- talking of distance and finishing times, Laura finished in five hours and 48 minutes, which is just, it's a smashing performance. Um, the ultra light is 58K approximately. So, I mean, you're ticking over there at what? One hour, 10Ks over technical land. It's, it's no, no slouch at all. Uh, she was clear, well clear of Michelle Nolan in second. So Michelle came home in six hours and 14 minutes. And then yeah. Ashlyn Kerwin was a little way back there, seven hours and two minutes. So Laura, I mean, just to look at, I'm, I'm just going to have to uh, correct and say that she wouldn't have quite gotten the male podium. So her five hours and 48 minutes would have put her in to be, uh, sorry, it would have put her a third. Yeah, she would have just snuck onto the, uh, onto the podium. Correct. Yeah, uh, I think the myself, third place yeah. in the men's on was, was five hours, 54. 54. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So she just snuck onto the podium there. And uh, I mean, that's that's an outstanding performance, uh, particularly if you look at the, the distance between uh, herself and, and thirds, uh, the third male, which was 554. I mean, she she had a bit of daylight there as well. And it'd be very interesting to see. I'm not aware if they went off together or in waves at the start so i know renee will have that information and be able to share it but if she was running on in the same heat i wonder would it have been a bit different would she have gotten a little bit of uh, a kind of toe along from a few of the front running guys and could she have finished yeah higher up I, I, it sounds like a, a very interesting athlete simon as well and again someone that we'd love to talk to on the show um laura is a yoga teacher from what i could see just from our social media profile she does a lot of um yoga classes for runners online i think at the moment as well so i'd love to maybe ask her one day how her yoga routines her yoga work affects her own running as well because I know from talking to a couple of runners over the last couple of years and I think athletes across all sports that the older we get it's so important to keep that flexibility and strength right from our core to our legs and so on so it sounds like Laura is getting tremendous benefit from her own professional work as a yoga teacher as well so uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to to talk to Laura about that one day as well Um, but maybe to finish off Simon Tell us about the um, tell us about the guys. Uh, John McHugh was the winner there in the male race. He was indeed, and uh, he like five hours and three minutes. That's just you, you start looking at that and going, this is seriously moving for a fifty-eight k race. As I say, it is technical, it is tough. Now he was almost twenty minutes clear of Barry Hartnett. To put in perspective, Barry Hartnett stands on the top of podiums all of the time, very regularly. John, obviously, he hasn't had as many race victories. I just had a look back through his details earlier today. And this was obviously a big, big feather for him. He led from the start and they just couldn't reel him in. I mean, he he led from start to finish some gun to tape. So it's really tough sometimes when you're out there and you don't have anyone around you. And that's what I was suggesting about Laura. If there's a rabbit to chase, sometimes it can give you that extra kick, that extra motivation. So front running, you would know better than I would. I don't spend much time at the front of races, but I do spend time with no one in front of me when I'm far enough back. Uh, But it can motivate you again, just seeing someone's heels and just kind of tagging on and uh, hoping to maybe out sprint at the ends. But John gave Barry no chance to do that. He moved clear of the field and he kept that bit of distance and just carried it home. 
Yeah. Well, well, listen, Simon, it sounds like it was a fantastic weekend of of racing from, from both sides, from just a, an events perspective as well, that they got the race up and running, that they did everything in their power to, to make sure that it was held safe, safe for everybody, excuse me, that it went off well and that the results itself, wow, what a set of results. Some, some new names as well, combining with more established names as well. And it's great to maybe see a new fresh generation of trail runners coming through and as I mentioned earlier on um, hopefully as the racing world opens back up over the next 12 months we'll see some of these Irish and uh, guys and girls over on some of the big European races as well battling with the very best in, in Europe um, speaking of international races Simon I know we normally touch on just the international racing scene in this part of the show as well the only real news that I wanted to touch on this week was that the mountain running world championships um, scheduled for midway through November in Lanzarote that was finally called off just about um, about five or six days ago the word the word came through from the organizing committee that was that was called off you know I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here Simon maybe but it, it was good that they finally made the decision to call the race off because the fact that they had been dragging it on all throughout the summertime and it doesn't matter what level of athlete we're talking about whether it's an elite athlete or or just a normal club runner or a fun runner when you have a big target race like a lot of the Irish international athletes would have, would have had a lot of them we've had on the show Simon over the last couple of weeks the likes of Ian Conroy um, Zach uh, Sarah McCormick Nicola Duncan um, Barry Minnick of course there a couple of weeks ago who've been training training their backside off over the summertime with the hope of this race going ahead and making lots of sacrifices and the race really should have been called off, Simon, I, I think, weeks and weeks ago. Um, you know, we all knew there was probably going to be a, an upsurge in numbers over the autumn time. So the fact that they let the World Championships drag on for so long and trial races happen. And Barry, of course, had his long distance trial race there a couple of weeks, as he told us about and across all the countries across Europe as well. Um, but at least it's called off now. People can just, you know, re refocus and uh, set out new targets. And uh, we'll have to wait on, until next year before we get to see the Irish team over in Lanzarote competing in that event. Um, anything else, Simon, that you wanted to touch on just before we finish off? Yeah, well, there, there was a new um, event in the, the Kerry Way Ultra Festival, um, which took place this year, which was the relay event. So it was kind of flying a little bit below the radar. Um, it was teams that were taking on the full 200K. Um, so there was quite a, a bit of interest. And there was, in total, I think they had nine teams took part. And the Dublin Mountain Running Club team finished, and just to put in perspective the time, they finished in 22 hours, 51 minutes and 55 seconds. When we compare that to Gavin Byrne on his own, did it in 23 hours, 37 minutes and 17 seconds. So it, obviously they can jump in and out. They can do sections at a time and then take a break and come back in. And it is a team of, I think, up to four people who can then take on the full challenge. So a fantastic performance from them. I know they're a new club. They've only been established about a year to come down and win. And also they won by almost two hours from the second place team, which was easier said than run. And then in third place was Scrambled Legs, which should get the best team name, obviously. Uh, so 
it was a, a really, really nice thing to see. And again, it's a new event, bringing people on who maybe wouldn't like to take on the full 200K, and it gives them an opportunity to experience the Kerry Way Ultra. And uh, great to see Eileen bringing on new things to introduce new people to the event. Yeah, it looks like it was great fun in the relay. I'm just looking at some of the other names here as well, Simon. We've got uh, 220 beats per minute. <laughs> I'm sure there was plenty of people, plenty of people above 200 beats per minute over the weekend. Are we still not there yet? Another team name, and then coming home in 33 hours, 58 minutes. Are we there yet? Um, so listen, on that positive, upbeat note, Simon, I'll say thanks a million for that in-depth look at the Kerry Way Ultra. Fair play to everybody involved both the participants and the organizers for battling on through the the last two weeks and um and listen Simon, isn't that what ultra runners really are, are all about that um the, the the mindset of trail runners they they, they keep on battling on um in a safe as way as possible you know one of the most important things on out in the mountains is knowing when to retire knowing when to stop but also know knowing when and to keep on fighting as well and that's certainly what everybody did down in the Kerry Way Ultra. Absolutely. And I'll leave you with one tiny anecdote. I got a phone call at three o'clock on morning of the, the Saturday night of the Kerry Way Ultra for a gentleman who'd got a little bit off trail and he'd spent close to two hours in one field traveling around in circles. So we eventually got down to him. And to really epitomize the, the ultra runners and the mentality, the first thing he did was say, thanks for finding me. And the second one, he, thing he said was, sorry, you had to come out and find me. So, <laughs> I mean, I think it was nice. He was in great spirits. Uh, he knew he was a bit lost. Unfortunately, he missed the cutoff for Waterville. So he did have to retire at that stage. But he thoroughly enjoyed it. He enjoyed his 100K and then about 3K around one field over two hours up and down a river. And he, he knew his day was done then, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, sure, Simon, tell the truth to the listeners. You were probably up on your treadmill at that time in the night anyway, doing a couple of extra kilometers. So you were probably wide awake at quarter to three in the morning. Um, but it's, and as well, just to say to the listeners, Simon, that if anybody can't wait until next year's race to get back down to Kerry, Simon, of course, is the race director of the Waterville Trail Running Festival at the start of May. So if you're looking for a chance before next year's Kerry Way Ultra to get back down to Kerry and run on those incredible incredible looking trails make sure to check out simon's race the waterfall trail running festival as well simon until next time thanks a million, mate thanks a million. take care of yourself my name's sarah mccormack my name is brian fury my name is nicola duncan my name is zach Hanna. my name is mark ryan I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Rene, great to have you on the show again this week. And Rene, we've just come off the phone with Simon, where we had a deep dive on the results of the Kerry Way Ultra. And we said that we do the same this week again, a slightly different format. We're, we're going to sacrifice the feature in-depth interview. And instead, Rene, we're going to take a deep dive on the Kerry Way Ultra from within the race, because you were down there racing the Ultra Light this weekend. Yeah, that's right, Owen. And I think it's. Uh, I think the race probably has earned its place in this slot. Um, I was my wife and my children, you know, traveled down with me to the race, 
And one of the things my wife said to me after was, because she was following along, you know, as my support crew, so they stopped at various places. Um, she said it was just wonderful to see something happening, you know, anything, to, to see an actual event uh, with people excited about it, you know, both people in the race and, you know, random hikers at the various tourist locations in Kerry cheering people on, you know, and of course, the, you know, the one, the one support crew that was allowed. It, it was actually, it, it was funny when she said it to me that we had nearly forgotten how it is when events of any kind happen in our society and it made it much, a much bigger buzz than normally. So, I, I, yeah, I think it's, it's worth celebrating uh, that it happened and that they managed to pull it off in such a, a sensible, you know, and well-organized manner. Yeah, that's what Simon was saying, Many exactly as well. And I suppose your own case of even competing in the Kerry Way Ultra, it, it was a very good example of, I'm sure, what's happened to a lot of runners over the last six months. One of your original races had been cancelled and the, the Kerry Way Ultra was, in, in the end, a very good plan B choice. You had to um, readapt your, your, and, and change your training slightly. Yeah, I think when my race was the Eco Trail Geneva, um, which was in early June, so that was obviously a race that was cancelled um, with quite late notice. You know, for anyone who remembers the situation back in May, so I had done nearly all the training, and I, as I said, the same reaction that nearly everyone else has is, you know, how how can we use some of this uh, effort uh, that I put in since I think I started this build up maybe January or February. Uh, so I was thinking, what, what can I do with it? You know, and you're always a bit in denial at first because it was very unclear what the situation was like. So I thought, oh yeah, Ecotrail Stockholm is in three weeks. Um, that, so that, that'll be a natural replacement. And then when I heard rumblings that that wasn't going to happen, I thought, oh yeah, Ecotrail Eco Reykjavik a few weeks later, that should be fine then. But then they were gone and then it became clear that the whole summer was going to be very different. Um, so I just looked for something a bit further ahead. I thought September it, the world will be totally back to normal by September for sure. So I saw the carryway um, and I said, yeah, let's, let's go for something local. Uh, and I, I have fond memories with the place anyway, Owen. Um, it used to be a place I would go annually before we had the kids, you know, we'd go running every, every year. So I thought this, this is a good race, but as you know, then um, it turned out quite differently in that the, what seemed like a surefire bet to go ahead um was actually hanging by a bit of a thread and Simon probably talked about that. So I don't know if I need to go into it more, Owen, yeah, or do no, you want me to just talk about the Simon. training aspect? Yeah, no, we had a good chat with Simon just about uh, what Eileen had to go through. And I'm sure anybody that has been following the, the threads on Facebook and so on would have saw all the comments, all the supportive comments, some of the negative comments as well, a little bit of controversy here and there as well. But I think at the end of the day, from what you saw, from what Simon told us, they did everything that they could to ensure that the race went off safely. And in one way, it's great to see, Rene, as well, that despite all the challenges that were there, you went down with your family, with your small kids, and you were able to have a great weekend. Yeah, we certainly were. Like it was, uh, you know, schools have started in Ireland, so for us it was a bit of a logistical challenge because we had to basically go straight from primary school and then drive down. You know, and in normally for a big race like this, if I was to give recommendations to an athlete doing it, I would say go down at least a day in advance and preferably a few because it is always, you know, it's a four to five hour car drive and then straight into new surroundings. You know, noisy hotels and um, and all this. Um, 
that can be a little, you know, it can be kind of a suboptimal final day of preparation um, for a race. But, you know, we didn't have any choice. So we decided we're just going to deal with it. Um, and we had booked in a hotel in Kilani where the finish for the race is because I didn't want to be driving very far after the the event was over. But in hindsight, I could see that a lot of people, they had picked, you know, quieter uh, villages like Kenmea to go back to, which might be a better choice because you can get yourself kind of a quieter holiday home or a B&B where there's a little bit less noise, where the room you're staying in is a little bit more like your home um, than it is in a hotel. So, yeah. I, you know, that's that's just kind of going into the events. Uh, some of the things I myself would do different if uh, I was to go back. But obviously, anyone who, anyone who brings their family, you're very conscious that you want, while you're out there running, the kids need to, to be entertained, you know. And if you are a runner with family and kids, then generally hotels do the job because they're a little bit more friendly that way. Yeah. Well, well let's maybe, Rene, go back in time a little bit. Um, your original race was cancelled. I'm sure maybe you went through a little bit of mourning maybe for a couple of days about oh, all this work and my race is cancelled. What am I going to do now? And maybe we, we can help the listeners who are going through maybe similar issues now where their race has been cancelled or even that at the end of the summer period. They're not too sure what to do next because there's no real fixed calendars yet. Imre are still waiting to get their calendar up and running for the autumn. Um, the road racing scene as well, still a lot of question marks there. No Dublin Marathon, of course. But the, but the shining light is that a lot of small local races have been going on as well on the road running scene. So just how did you... How did you get on, Renny, over the, say, the eight to ten week period where your original race was cancelled and you had to adjust your training to get ready for the Kerryway Ultra? It was kind of a matter of looking at how I felt at the time um, and how best to, to keep a hold of the fitness I had gained. Because basically the problem I had, which I'm sure is similar to what a lot of other people experience, is once you get into peak shape and you're just about to to face your race, you are actually quite close to a breaking point as well. And uh, certainly that's the way I'd construct my own training because you have just about in April, I reached my peak mileage, for instance, that's when the really big weeks uh, with the very, very long runs um, for the particular event happened. And that meant I was going into May with slightly reducing the volume, you know, starting to try and get the body a little bit fresher. And then I was going to have this big effort in the first weekend of June. And both mentally and physically, I could feel that I was reaching the the limits um, and that I needed and was looking forward to two or three weeks of just doing really nearly nothing and relaxing after that uh, Geneva Eco Trail. So obviously the moment the race didn't happen, I had all this... Um, I had the fitness to use, but I know where to turn it, but also the fatigue was there. So the body didn't feel, you know, I kind of felt like I needed a break. But at the same time, once I decided I'm going to pick a later race, I couldn't take a three or four week break. You know, I felt that would be too long um, that I would lose too much of the fitness. Um, and what I did is basically first a quick refresh. And I would say that to anyone who had their race canceled that's happening here in September, if you've been kind of putting your body through a lot of training for a long time now take one or two weeks just general refresh you know focus nothing too long nothing too hard the volume for the weeks keep it fairly low treat yourself a bit better in all other aspects of your life um, 
and just try and see if you can get a little bit of a sense of rejuvenation and, and a pickup in motivation again. If two weeks doesn't do it, you know, maybe then you have no choice but to turn to three or four weeks at this stage. Because I see it with a lot of my clients as well, Owen. We, we might have had a race two months ago. Then we had to push that another month into the future and then another month. And that means the target keeps moving. And you can only keep doing that for so long before something inside yourself just says, now it's enough. You promised me a break and I'm having it. Um, and that's how I feel right now. Finally, having gotten through it, it's such a relief um, to see for the next three weeks, I don't really need to live my life with the same level of discipline and train with the same level of, of motivation and discipline as well. You know, I can just kind of cut it down and focus on other things and just rejuvenate. Um, but in terms of the actual training, once I had refreshed, I decided to um, to do two things. We had a club league in my case for with races just for the club athletes over the summer you know so there were small little events that were following the the rules that were in place but that that allow me to have a competitive out, outlet so anything like that can help you know if you have that around yourself at this stage you know like some of the road races that are now coming back online you know maybe next month park runs or something is going to begin come back maybe you have club races because there are quite a lot of them as well i can see when i look online if you don't have that, then obviously the, the key is just to figure out what, what is your training base now? What have you kept a hold of? And I knew I had reasonably good endurance. I had done a lot of really, really long and steep hills. And I also said to myself, well, was there anything you neglected in the first training buildup that maybe you can polish off in these last two months that you now have to spare, so to speak? And I did notice because of the lockdown and because I was locked down on a mountainside, I'd done very little flat running. So I decided to add in a lot more of that in the final period. But Owen, it really was just a case of taking aspects of the training I already had and putting it on the simmer and just trying to maintain a certain training level as long as I could um to hold on to the fitness um you know yeah. for another what was it was actually three months extra sure and it's great to hear Rene, that you got to do some of those local races the, the local wicklow races there because i think it's so important as well just to enjoy our running as well and not just to have one big goal that's three months away and then we forget about everything else that you got down to Wicklow, you got down running with clubmates, running with friends. And it's so important, I think, to have that social contact. And um, because if we're off doing long training runs on our own the whole time, you know, that can have a draining effect as well. So even though I'm sure training for a 58K, running a couple of 5K road races mightn't be maybe the ideal thing to do in, in some respect, but from a mental and social point of view, I'm sure you had great fun doing those races. Yeah, no, it was fantastic, you know, and uh, it, I, because it's, you know, as I said, it was an outlet both socially and physically and competitively. And it's so easy, you know, if I was to look at the runs we did for the club, it was old traditional Imra races like Scar and Broca and some routes we have that we've made up ourselves down here. If you look at them from a physiological standpoint, they were entirely the wrong type of training for the event I was training for. Um, and certainly because we had nine races in the series and I ended up doing eight of them. You, you know, if I was that person's coach, I would say that's too many races where you are stimulating the anaerobic metabolism and, you know, the, the glycolytic, the sugar-based system for a person who's training for an ultra, uh, especially in the last two months. So in a way you could say, oh, it's a training mistake um, that I'm conducting. But I chose to look at it this way that, you know, you can't only make decisions on what is the right physiology you know some because also with the situation we were in 
Kerry could be cancelled. You know, no one knew what was going to happen two weeks down the line. So I felt I want something out of my running next week and the week after. And, and you know, if that maybe takes a few percent off the actual ultra performance uh, that I can't correct it enough in the last four weeks, then so be it. Because I did know one thing, Owen, I, was, I wasn't going to win the race anyway. Yeah, exactly. And um, the, the, the talk comes to me, really, that if you, if you have it, use it before you lose it. So while you're injury-free, while you're fit, get out there and enjoy some races as well. Now, that can't always be done, but you know it's about just maximising the fitness that you have. Um, that maybe brings us, Rene, up to race day itself. Um, you got through your change of plans. You got through all those local little fast races. And you got through your long runs, and you're there on the start line. One question, Rene, that I wanted to ask was... Did the external stressors and um, pressures of COVID-19 around race day with wearing masks, with the uncertainties of whether the race would go ahead or not, did that weigh on your shoulders in any way, Rennie? Because unfortunately, the way things are going, it looks like we're going to be racing over the next maybe five to six months with the shadow of COVID-19 lurking behind us. So did that in any way um, have any negative impact, Rene, as you stepped up to the start line from a mental point of view? Yeah, probably it did. Maybe not quite in the way that it, it does for some, because essentially, you know, when when I look at the situation, um, I'm quite engaged with the whole thing in terms of the opinions I hold about um, the way the situation is being managed. <laughs> I'm very passionate about, you know, what we do, how it will affect the future and my kids, um, you know, things like that. And that means that I, I was investing in the last two or three months before the race a lot of energy in in the whole situation. I think that's the best way I can put it um, without going into a discussion about the thing itself. And I think I have other runners I know who are similarly engaged and we actually made a pact going into the race. We said we will not talk about anything related to COVID for the next few days. You know, we really need to switch off uh, and just try and forget that we are in the middle of a very strange situation um, and disinvest from it. So for me, that was the main thing, Owen, is I think I was too emotionally and invested in, in, in trying to be a part of the conversation uh, around what should be done next. And that, I think that that's it's the same for anyone who trains for any race where you have a lot of commitment. So I, I used to train a lot of IT professionals and still do. Uh, and a lot of them have very demanding jobs. And it's a little bit of a similar thing. If you put a lot of your competitive and your general kind of energy into other aspects of life, it can affect your race situation. So I was feeling a general feeling of being strung out over the summer. Um, and I wasn't I couldn't tell you what proportion of that was because of the overall situation and what part of that was because, you know, it was three months of training that I didn't expect to have to do on top of the initial five months. I could just feel that the body was reaching a point where it it didn't want to take any more effort out. So I, that weighed on the mind going into the race that would there be a reaction to that at some stage. Um, but that was really my only concern. Um, sure. Well, a, a great um, tip that, that I used to um, do, Rene, before my races, when I worked in Bank of Ireland, I worked in Bank of Ireland for nine years. And before any important race, whether it was, say, the Dublin Marathon, for example, or a championship race with my club at Farnham, I would actually take the Friday off work um, to avoid any potential stressful situations in work and just essentially have... 
24 hours, 48 hours, stress-free before race day. And the difference it made was incredible. And I absolutely got the benefit of it. So I think it is a great piece of advice. You mentioned it there. You and your friends, you agreed not to talk about COVID-19. And I think we can we can all definitely take that forward into the autumn racing season. That if we have a race coming up, just don't look at the news for the 24 hours beforehand if we can. And if you have the, the luxury to be able to do it, take the day off work beforehand if you can as well. Yeah, I think you. this comes into one of the most um, least understood, I think, points about performance today because, you know, we all grew, most of people who grew up uh, reading training books for the last 20 years, we, they know a lot about physiology. But in the last 10 years or so, fatigue and performance is understood much more in the context of what the brain does, you know. Um, and that means how we perceive fatigue and what drives our perception of, of fatigue. And... One thing with modern life that is so problematic is that we can constantly inflict stresses on ourselves. Because really, let's imagine a situation. If I was, for the last month, if I had turned off every uh, radio and television and website, my email account, everything, um, and had just gone about my day, I wouldn't really know that there is um, anything stressful going on around me. You know, it wouldn't be apparent. And that would mean I would just relax because there wouldn't be any, you see, for us as humans, you know, the, the stress is created by how we perceive things. So that means if I read something online that upsets me, I get a stress response. And that triggers what's called a sympathetic nervous system response, which is fight or flight. Which is, it, it's, it's a good thing, obviously, that we have this because if you need it, it's handy. But when you have nowhere to let this uh, hormonal and aggressive response go, then it basically just gets stuck inside the system and it causes all sorts of health problems and it just drains, you know, your reservoir of energy um, without doing anything productive because you're not really running away from any problem. You're not really solving a problem. You're just sitting they're taking it is, is the best way I can put it. So saying even once this whole situation blows off, if I could say a good a good piece of advice to any endurance athletes who needs to be fresh in the mind ahead of a race is reduce your exposure to all social media and media in general. You know, you really will thank yourself because it media is stressful. Yeah, especially social media. <laughs> yes, especially. Turn, turn off um, those Facebook and Instagram accounts. But listen, we've touched on the mental side of things. Let's get into the actual kilometers and the race route itself, Rene. Um, how did the body respond physically over the 58K? Yes, yeah, so it was a very strange day for me personally. Um, I, you know, I think everyone's race, especially these long races, there's going to be one key moment in the race where that everything turns around and that dictates the outcome of the whole day. Um, and for me, it was very unusual because we basically in Sneem, where our race started, you know, it's a nice little village and we were started off in waves uh, of 15 people. Um, but the organizers decided, because the waves were flowing so well, they decided that they could contract the time that they sent people out on a little bit. And some of us got caught out in a slight bit of confusion around that. So by the time I set off, I was actually in the last wave, um, setting off several minutes after the leaders. You know, And I didn't really feel like I needed to give the leaders um, you know, a head start. But <laughs> there we were, you know, four of us setting off as the last people on the road. Uh, it felt perfectly comfortable the pace was you know slower even than i would probably have gone out for initially i just said take it handy 
um, and th and things will be well. You know, work your way in. It's such a it's such a long time to be out there. And then at about forty minutes in, I was chatting away to this Polish runner, uh, and I just got struck with a very strange sensation um, that I can only describe as similar to a panic attack. Um, like my chest kind of caved in on me. I, I struggled to breathe. Um, but if I looked at the heart rate monitor, the heart rate was quite low. It, it, it actually dropped from being too high early on to being in the 120s. Um, and from that point on, I kind of started to lose control of the situation for a bit. Um, I couldn't keep running. I had to drop my pace right down, you know, from running around at five minutes per kilometer to eight. <laughs> and um, eventually came to a stop. And at this stage, the, the thought, my first thought was, you can't keep running like this because it doesn't feel right at all. You'll probably have to drop out. And thankfully, then there was immediately a counterthought, which was you dragged Aoife and the kids all the way down here just to call them after an hour to tell them to pick you up on the side of the road somewhere between Sneem and Templeno. So I said, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and then I thought, I also have to sit and talk about this race with Owen on Monday morning. And I can't, you know, if I have to tell him just about 40 minutes, it's going to be a pretty poor talk. So it, it was kind of fascinating that although I was in, I was actually a little bit frightened uh, because of this unusual situation, you know, this kind of loss of control. Um, but at the same time, these external pressures helped me get into a problem-solving kind of mode of operation, if you want, that I started thinking from all the knowledge I have garnered over the years, what could this be? You know, what is it? And try and see, can you solution it out here on the course? And eventually I kind of whittled it down to, to four possible options. I said, it could be hypoglycemia, which is high blood sugar. It could be a hyponatremia, which is low blood salt. And um, it could be too much caffeine, uh, maybe too early in the morning, because I had two cups of tea and a cup of coffee over for three hours, because it was quite a late start for this race. Yeah. Um, and the final thing then that occurred to me is, um, could it be some kind of stress reaction? Because I did have what's called, I have what's called hypercapnia, which is um, a panic attack. I have only had it once in my lifetime, but apparently once it happens to you once, you could be prone to do it again. It basically means that you overbreathe, so you get in too much CO2, and your body kind of starts cramping up, and you it, it's a stress response gone wild, essentially. It's something that happens when the sympathetic nervous system is too overactive for one reason or another. Um, so on the day itself, I obviously didn't have time to go through you know, a scientific study to figure out what it was, but I just tried a few things. I tried to breathe my way out of it. That didn't really work. I noticed it got a bit better when I talked to the other athletes around me. So I thought, could that be the breathing or could it be because I'm more relaxed when I talk? And then eventually, this lady called Margaret, so I want to thank her, um, she asked me, can I do anything for you? Do you need any help? And I said, no, I don't want you to ruin your race, but do you have a bag of crisps? And uh, thankfully for me, she had one. So I said, can you spare it? And she said she could. So I took the bag of crisps. I ate it up on a bench. And then I slowly started moving again. And within five, maybe 10 minutes of that, the body actually felt normal. So this very strange reaction kind of evened out. Uh, and that set the tone for the whole day. You know, so this was kind of, on the one hand, it was very satisfying that I had solutioned the problem. I got a bit of, I was fearful, if I can use that word, for the next yeah. few hours that it would recur. You know, so I really watched everything I did 
like under a microscope. I was careful what I drank. I was careful what I ate. You know, I would only take small sips. I would only take the tiniest nibble of something because I didn't want to trigger some kind of strange reaction that I couldn't control. Yeah. Um, you know, but as the hours passed and the confidence came back, uh, I got a salt tablet after this. It's the only other guy I'll call out, Owen, I promise. But it's a guy called Ronan. I just want to thank him as well because he gave me a salt tablet on yeah. the climb up the main hill before Kenmea. Um, so it, I'm not, you know, I cannot say for sure it helped. It certainly didn't harm me. Um, but I took them. And th that kind of was, that changed everything in terms of the approach to the race. Because going into the race, I thought, well, I'm going to aim for this part of the field. I'm going to try and mull along and then come strong, come through strong if I can in the second part. But once this situation happened, my only goal was fix this situation, get back on some kind of even keel, and then just try and do your best to complete in the best possible time that remains to you. So that's kind of how I switched the focus. And, you know, if anyone else can learn anything from it, I suppose it is just, you know, have some backup plans for the problems you encounter Try and see, don't panic if something happens that you didn't prepare for, you know, try and do some cold analysis and don't be afraid to reset your goals in the middle of the race, because I know it's hard, you know, there's a lot of DNFs in these races, you know, I, and I said, I nearly became one myself uh, before it had even started. Um, but quite often, I think if you can reset your goal early enough, you will still be able to complete. Uh, and I know with respect to some of the high profile names who didn't make it through, I know that the elite athletes approach these events differently. Um, for them, they they go out, they tend to go out hard, a high-risk strategy. And if it doesn't pay off, they often retire simply because th this is the strategy for them. You know, it is they go for a competitive spot or it's bust. And for them, it's often the better choice to pull out because they have nothing to prove. You know, they've done it all before and they are often trying to preserve their energy, you know, for another competitive effort. You know, they lost this battle, but they're going to come back for another one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like a very good tip for our listeners to have, Rennie, to have a plan A, B and C and to visualize those plans before race day, that you have your optimum race and you literally sit down maybe a couple of times before race day for 10 minutes on your own and you visualize that plan A happening. But then you also visualize a plan B and a plan C where maybe you have a physical problem, maybe yeah, the body feels tired, it feels exhausted, or you have an injury issue where you go over on an ankle and you work out solutions for them as well. So you're not just going down, as you said, with one option for this race, that you've thought through the different options that might happen. Um, and just to give things time, as you did there, you, you had that issue at 40 minutes, but you managed to stay within control and just slowly work things out. And thankfully, over an ultra trail race like that, um, you're, it's not like a road marathon where you're consistently looking at the watch. And imagine if that really would have happened in, say, the Dublin Marathon. I can only imagine the extra stress that you would have felt by looking at your watch from going from whatever it might be, from six-minute miling or seven-minute miling, down to eight or nine minute miling. Imagine if, if that had happened during a road marathon. Yeah, it's nearly, I think that that's the beauty of these trail races and the long ultras in particular, is that you actually have something to fall back on that you can take 
with you after the event and um, because in the road marathon if you have a certain time in mind and that's what your training was geared towards and you have such a big mishap as i had here there is no way you can rectify that situation within the framework of a road marathon because all you might be able to do is to jog the rest and and you could say what satisfaction will you really gain from that maybe a little bit to say well you know i am a, a hard bastard forgive my language you know i saw it through but but beyond that there isn't much um whereas i i actually felt in retrospect that i I can see now, you know, a bit like you own, I'm not primarily an ultra guy. You know, I, I have a, a love for speed, even if I'm not as fast as you. And that's the sort of racing that excite me the most. And it still does. Um, but there, there was a great satisfaction in when you have these difficulties. And it seems like in ultra races, these difficulties always appear in one form or the other. You get a little glimpse of what type of person can you be when you're put under pressure do you just cave in and panic or are you able to step back rationalize and, and work through it and i think you know whether it's obviously maybe over dramatizing it because it's not life or death but i still think a lot of people who find themselves in these situations in ultra races that's one of the appealing things about this type of competition that you can take these little things away the sense of satisfaction that you can problem solve under pressure and and that completing itself of course is an achievement um because it is easy in many places to pull out you know when you come to like we came to beautiful Khmer which you probably know well Owen you know it's one of the most scenic spots in Ireland and uh, my wife was there my kids were there the cold water was there the clean shoes you know, it, it would have been very easy. I was suffering from cramps at that stage, which might have been um, kind of an after effect on the earlier mishap. It was very tempting to stop. It really was. But the, the desire to complete this project and, you know, to to be able to say, well, I at least I did what I set out to in the most basic form. I, I conquered this challenge of the race. Um, that drove that was enough to drive me onwards for the final uh, three and a bit hours. Whereas in a road marathon, I think that must be that is very difficult. Once your time goal is gone, is it really enough to say I'll 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 drag my rear side over this finish line no matter what? I, I'm not quite sure it is. I think trail races have a definite advantage there. Yeah, and I suppose on a road marathon as well, you're just running on cold, hard black tarmac. Where in a trail race like that. You're in the middle of beautiful nature and superb scenery um, all around the Ring of Kerry. Uh, maybe just briefly, Rene, a, a quick review of the course. Um, I saw some of the photographs online. It, it looks spectacular. Yeah, when you, as I said, I've been away from Kerry for a few years, and this was a real reminder why we used to come a lot. You know, it certainly isn't overrated. Yeah. And the course itself is quite interesting because the Kerry Way, um, has a lot of really interesting sections. There's a lot of variety of terrain. Um, early on, the route was kind of, you know, nice little uh, grassy dirt trails and country roads and forest paths. But then later on, you know, you had this very boggy mountain. Um, it's called Gordner Mullen just before Kenmare, which was nearly like a little hill race that had just been thrown in into the middle. And then you had a section uh, where there was a lot of rock, you know, before Talk Waterfall, which a lot of people know, the vast majority of those kilometers are extremely rocky. Um, so you, there's and there's many other terrains here that I, I won't even go into. And if you've done the full Carryway Ultra, you could obviously describe even more. So you get both this variety of underfoot, which keeps challenging you along with the gradients. 
and you have the spectacular scenery. Um, you have the sea as a companion for so much of the race. You know, it's nearly always on your right-hand side until the final turn up towards Kilani, uh, which is anyway one of the best stretches because you have, you know, these kind of raw and dramatic carry mountains you know they're not, they're not like my i should say my own but the, the green wicklow mountains around here you know anyone who's been down there knows that, that they have a, a slightly more kind of alpine quality um and then you finish running into the kind of lush parkland of mokros um and into the city so it really offers a lot and there's three race distances for people to pick from um, so you can work your way through this challenge over the years. Um, it's a real kind of grassroots events. You know, you 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 get the feeling that you're part of of a an event run by locals. Um, you know, for the love of the sport uh, and not for anything else. And you know, I think that's always a very appealing thing about a race. So, but at the same time, it was. I wouldn't. I haven't done many of the big ultras. You know, internationally, I've done the Lakeland. 50 in in the lake district um and you know carryway it's it's doesn't have the same amount of age stations but other than that it's just as professionally run you know you really couldn't uh you, i don't think there would be many athletes who ran it who are dissatisfied with the organization in fact i'd probably be surprised if there were any sure well listen Renny, well done on your race results as well because despite those struggles that you have i'm looking at the results um here and you finished in a very commendable seven hours 28 minutes and just to give the range from the winner and uh, which was john kyo in five hours three minutes and then you had people still coming in after 11 hours or so so you're up well up there any in the top half so despite troubles that you had that you had great strength and determination to get to the finish line in that time of seven hours 28 minutes which brings us on maybe Rennie, to the next point of post-race recovery because i know we were speaking just quickly on on um, what's up on sunday and you said that you're out just walking around with your family and I bet that was nearly a, a, a pre-planned strategy, Rene, to help the body recover. Because I know from talking to other ultra athletes over the last couple of months, it's actually a practice that a lot of people use that the day after the race, far from putting their feet up on the sofa and just vegging out for the day, I see more and more trail runners, marathon runners, the very best athletes actually taking the decision to go walking the next day to help the body recover. Yeah, there seems to be a big healing effect of walking. I, I learned this just from experience at first after the Lakeland 50, incidentally, because we were in the beautiful Lake District. My wife went out running the day after the race. And although I was sore, I thought, I, I don't want to just sit in the B&B and look into the walls. So I just walked around town and the parks. And it, it made a, a huge difference because within four weeks of that 50 miler, I ran a half marathon personal best. So to me, it just showed that it, it got me onto the recovery curve really, really quickly. And obviously, you know, in the years after that, I became very interested in studying biomechanics and I learned various things about human recovery that, you know, help make sense of this. But even without knowing that, you know, it, it, it kind of makes sense to because you, you need blood flow. And, you know, a flow of energy within the body for healing processes to happen. So if you just passively lie down, none of that is going to occur. Um, so for us, yeah, it, it, and it actually worked, Owen, in this incident as well, because as I said, I was walking quite badly uh, about half an hour after the race. Um, and I was very, very stiff in on Sunday morning. But after having walked in two different places, we stopped with the kids. The legs were nearly i wouldn't say rejuvenated but there was a massive difference and this morning again uh, 
it, it is a world of difference. Like I, I am actually surprised how quickly they have recovered, especially given all the cramping I suffered, you know, which is a little bit traumatic to the muscles. So it, it, it is definitely something to do. Um, do as much walking as you can fit in, you know, don't go overboard. There's no need to go out and do, you know, 10 kilometers up a hill, you know, even 20, 30 minutes just walking around a park will, will do wonders. And the other things I did was this thing called resistance. Um, it's kind of resistance stretching, but not really. So I have this little TheraBand, which you probably know on these, it's these very small elastic bands. They look like they're nearly too short to, to use for anything. Um, but you can basically wrap them around any joint that you have, and then you can slowly move your joint against the resistance of that band. Um, so I was using them in the evening because I was lying in the bed and I, I felt like I could barely move the legs. They were like logs. So I just took the band against, uh, for instance, wrapped it around my foot and moved the leg through you know, a gentle range of motions against that light resistance that the band provides. And again, for me, the theory I have read and what I've experienced in practice tells me that when a muscle has been traumatized by one type of exercise, like running, it basically means that the muscle fibers are stuck in a certain position because they've been traumatized by this repetitive strain. So when you do another exercise, whether it's running or whether it's this kind of gentle resistance against the muscle, it actually helps make those fibers unstuck. So you normalize the length relationship or a t length tension relationship, it's called of these muscle fibers. And you in this process, presumably, you know, we release a lot of the junk that it gets stuck in muscles when we have exercised hard, you know, some of the waste products of metabolism and, and stress. So for me, those were the two key things, the walking and the exercise. And I also did my customary, I sat down in the hotel bathtub and it was cold. And when mm -hmm. I was finished with the, with the cold tub, I made it warm, not not very, very hot, just kind of nice, comfortable hot. And then I just sat down and relaxed for 10 minutes, you know, just really let the brain turn off. And, th and that was my main recovery routine. You know, there's a few other bits and bobs, you know, eating the, the right things and, yeah. and stuff like that. But for me, I think in the first few days when you're very sore, even stuff like a sports massage can be nearly too traumatic. You know, I know some people go straight to a sports massage after, but personally, I wouldn't have done that straight after the race. The muscles would have been too sore to put something like that through. Sure. No, some great tips there, Rene. And then the final point that I wanted to touch on was you're actually going to go into now a proper rest and recovery stage now. Um, you've completed your main goal for the season. As you said, you have to just drag that out an extra two or three months. And now for, for me, Rene, you're actually taking the very disciplined approach to taking, is it two to three weeks off, I think, that you said you were going to do. It's something, Rene, that I failed to do over the years um, myself because after a big race, my attitude was always, um, well, listen, I'm going to get sick at one time over the winter or I'm going to pick up some injury over the winter time. That's when I'll stop, when I'm forced to stop. And I never actually chose myself to stop because I could or because I had a two-week window after my main race. I've always kept on going, um, which, you know, in hindsight, it, it just doesn't work long-term. Really. It would eventually catch up with you. But for any of our listeners, maybe just take them through the thought process of that, that you've got through your big race, and now you will put the feet up for a couple of weeks. Now, you won't just sit there doing nothing, of course. I, I imagine you're going to stay active, but you are taking the disciplined approach to take your active recovery. Yeah, the plan basically is to to take three to four weeks off. And I'll go a little bit by how I feel, you know, in terms of the, the total length. You know, traditionally, people always used to say you have to rest um, a day per mile you've raced. 
but of course you know that that rule they didn't mean total rest in that saying but that rule obviously breaks down for ultra training because you can't you know you you would be resting way too many days if you use that but also um as we discussed i think before we jumped on this call owen for some for many different reasons uh, you actually recover quicker from quite long trail races than you would from a road marathon and as we said it has to do with i think that in a marathon you keep your heart rate extremely high the whole way um and you are on one even monotonous hard terrain so but despite that, you know, as you say, there's two approaches to this. And I used to do yours, which was just only rest when forced to. Um, and part of the reason was my hero, Arthur Lydiard, said a lot of great things. But some of the stuff he said maybe got overinterpreted. Because one thing he said is if you rest, um, he said, even if you rest one day a week, you're basically giving away, what was it? He says something like, you're gifting away f- nearly seven weeks of training over the course of a year. So he didn't believe in rest weeks at all. Um, but we know that, for instance, Kenyan athletes um, who will train at fantastic levels most of the year will often take a month where they barely do anything. And the the basic idea behind it is that you, your body will need some point in time to just focus on nothing but rejuvenating. Uh, because we mentioned earlier in this call that there is these two systems, your fight and flight system, which is the sympathetic nervous system, and the parasympathetic rest and digest system. And we have stressful lives, most of us, to begin with. So over time, that relationship can get out of whack. And especially when you then are always asking the body to do something. So there has to be a point when you give a repayment where you say, now the focus is just on you relaxing, catching up. Um, it's a bit like a hibernation nearly, Owen, is a way to think of it. Um, you know, that you you, you know, go into a three weeks hibernation to refresh rejuvenate and then you come back out of your cocoon and you might have lost a little bit of fitness because you didn't train so much for three weeks but for most people who do this properly and who don't go back too early which is very tempting sometimes because you can feel you can after two weeks sometimes you can feel nearly normal and then but then when you ramp right back into it that's when a niggle occurs it's very typical so i think three to three to four weeks is that's a very sensible approach after a big, long, hard race. And as you said, it's not about just lying on the couch for two weeks, although that can be necessary maybe sometimes for a week or two. You can go for walks. You can even, once you can feel that the muscles seem to be normal, that your stride mechanics are okay, you know, there's no unusual tightness or kind of pain around the way you move, then you can start jogging again. But I generally, and this is something I learned from an Italian coach, uh, he said, for the first four weeks after a big race marathon and up, no runs over an hour, try and do as much um, cross-training as you can to rebuild areas of your fitness that has been destroyed. And just to make that, for me, I have I bought this e-learning course called Anatomy in Motion a few months ago. And because of all this thing that's going on, I never got to start it because I, I just had enough to do with doing what I'm already doing. So I plan to use these three weeks as an opportunity to revisit that course and spend a lot of time because I'm hoping this will improve my gait and it's going to help repair some of the, you could say that, the damage both physical and in terms of movement that can happen in a big race like this because you can acquire some bad habits if you don't repair some of the muscle trauma that occurs so you actually start the next training cycle with a gait that's worse you know and and that's often that what part of the whole thing that creates these injuries that you don't really understand where it came from 
Yeah. Well, listen, Renee, thanks a million, as always, for, for that superb advice, for, for sharing your Kerryway Ultra experience with us. And, and a big shout out, Renee, as well, to one of your athletes who got a great bronze, um, a great third place in the, in the Kerryway Ultra, Judy McNamee, who's been one of your pupils over the last couple of years. Yeah, delighted for her. You know, she was a late shift. She had, was meant to do Eco Trail 80k here at the end of the month, and then she shifted uh, to the full carryway instead. You know, just a small step up in distance of 120k. Uh, but she's a very she's she's great at what she does. I think she's a natural for that event. And um, you know, she took she. I think she realized early on that Ifa Mundo and I forget who finished second now were. We're a level apart on the day. So once she found her natural position in the race, she played her cards well, you know, and she she got herself into third place uh, in a reasonable state. And she went out for a 20 minute walk today on. Super. And I'm sure um, Coach Rene is a proud man. Uh, well, listen, Rene, well done. If anybody wants to find out more information about Rene's coaching philosophies, as you've just heard, they're, they're, they're second to none. They're superb. And if anybody wants to get in touch with Rene, you can do so on runningcoach.ie, on Facebook and on Instagram as well. Rene, enjoy your couple of weeks off. I will. Thank you. All the best. Take care. And that's a wrap for episode 11, everybody. Wasn't it just fantastic to hear the results of the Kerryway Ultra from Simon at the start of the show and the deep dive on Rene's own racing performance and his preparation and his recovery plans for after the race as well. Really hope you enjoyed it. And it certainly gave me a bit of a spring in my step as I was listening to it with so much uncertainty going on at the moment about races going ahead, not going ahead. It, it was great to see so much action down in Kerry this weekend and hopefully um, it will inspire us and keep us all motivated for another couple of weeks until we get our roadmap in place. A final reminder guys as well that we are on the lookout for a new show sponsor so if you are interested in seeing your name and highlights on the Trail Running Ireland podcast and across the Trail Running Ireland social media we've got some good um, following there as well with over 5,000 followers on the Trail Running Ireland facebook page as well so potentially some good exposure there for a sponsor to help keep us going over the autumn and winter months in the meantime guys have a super week's training we look forward to talking to gavin byrne um, in episode 12 the winner of the kerry way ultra and it's going to be a great chat with gavin getting all the gory details of his 190 kilometers and um, close to 200 kilometer um, victory there in kerry at the weekend have a great week's training everybody Take care. Let's get our running gear on. Let's go.